This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. This is the Informer Daily for Friday, the 8th of May, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today. We've talked before about the rise of sex robots, and today we look at how this might impact the asexual and aromantic community, and we have a book review of Dragon Charm by Graham Edwards. But first, this update. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for Friday the 8th of May. National Cabinet is discussing social distancing restrictions today to establish a framework for how they can be lifted. Rapid changes are unlikely, though. Australians should expect a gradual easing of restrictions, with changes being made every four weeks. Each state is expecting to have the final say in which restrictions are lifted and when. A meeting of the first Movers Club happened overnight to discuss reopening of economies and managing small local outbreaks. The first Movers Club consists of countries that responded to COVID-19 quickly and are now moving to recover their economies. Members include New Zealand, Austria, Greece, Denmark, Israel, Norway, the Czech Republic and Australia. There will be a temporary pause in the processing of applications for early access to superannuation after a fraud syndicate targeted as many as 150 Australians. Federal police are currently investigating allegations. Super details were accessed through a tax agent. AFP and ATO agents are adamant no one in the tax office was hacked, but computer and security systems will be checked today to ensure the safety of the information they contain. A member of the United States military, who has been serving as one of President Donald Trump's valets, has tested positive for COVID-19. The president says the incident is concerning, but he remains in good health, testing negative alongside Vice President Mike Pence. Staffers who worked closely with the president will now be tested daily, as will the president and vice president. The lockdown in France will begin to be lifted on Monday, but some of the worst affected areas, including Paris, will remain red zones. These red zones will experience a much more cautious lifting of restrictions, which will keep parks, restaurants and cafes closed. France has seen over 25,000 deaths and nearly 175,000 cases, making them one of the world's worst affected nations. Images have revealed hundreds of freshly dug graves in Brazil's north, being filled quickly as the region continues to struggle with a large outbreak of COVID-19. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, who has referred to COVID-19 as a little flu, says the images are fake news and sensationalised. Although the death toll in Brazil has rapidly passed 7,000, the country's first lockdown measures did not come into place until this week. A state disaster council will convene in Western Australia today to discuss the state's plan for recovery, with Premier Mark McGowan saying Western Australia could be more economically progressive when easing restrictions. One change not currently up for discussion is the border closure. It's unknown when Western Australia will reopen itself to the rest of the nation. 
A meatworks in Melbourne's west has been linked to 62 cases of COVID-19, with one case being a student at a secondary college. Although this cluster has raised concerns about the safety of meat, Agriculture Minister David Littleproud says all meat products are safe to eat. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. A bit of a content warning on the following story, talking about sex robots, and while it's not sexually explicit, we are talking about sex. Please be advised. Last week, we explored some of the world of sex and robotics as it applies to the general community as well as the LGBTIQ community. And today we look at how it might impact the A, the aromantics and asexual community. Informer Daily intern Emily Johnson has this report. People on the asexual and aromantic spectrums experience sex and romance differently to people with other sexual identities. Being on these spectrums means one's desire for romantic relationships or partnered sex is either low or non-existent. This is often characterised as an issue for asexual and aromantic people finding and maintaining relationships with others not on the spectrum. Technological advancements in the sex industry, namely the development of sex robots, could allow people on the aromantic and asexual spectrums to have sex when the urge arises without needing to find a partner. Sex robots could also provide regular sex for the partners of asexual people without needing to look for someone outside of the relationship. But do asexual and aromantic people actually see a need for this new technology? And would they use it? I spoke with Georg Fischer, an aromantic bisexual, about his sexual identity, sex life, and whether he would consider using a sex robot. My identity is like bi-pansexual. My romantic identity is like I'm sitting on the aromantic spectrum. So personally, I like to, to use the word queer and neuroqueer since I'm, I'm on the autistic spectrum. And for me, it's, it's actually quite hard to completely untangle my queerness from my neurodiversity. So there's like a huge overlap that I don't even want to untangle. I need to be very upfront about things that I need and things that I can give, things that I can't give about my personal boundaries. So personally, I'm capable of like being attracted to like pretty much like anyone independent of their gender on a on a sexual level, but on a romantic level, it's for me, it's really hard to differentiate between what even is romantic love, romantic attraction. I do have a sex drive. I would say my sex drive is probably quite average, though the amount of people that I'm actually sexually attracted to is not very high. In general, I'm having a sex drive. In general, I do I do get horny, but in reality, finding someone I'm actually sexually attracted to is rather hard. I actually don't go looking for sex. Like, it's just I need to have some form of connection with the with the person. I need to to like that person to some to some extent. So for me, most of my most of my sexual partners have actually developed out of friendship or they have are friendships. I would consider using a sex robot. I would consider trying it, though I wouldn't necessarily see it as a as a replacement for having a sexual partner. I would just, for me, it would be more like using using a, any other sex toy. Like I think in general, I would like it to be more more human or something that's completely that's completely non non human. 
in my opinion, making it more more human like would probably go down somewhere around like having having some sort of like voice recognition having having it that sex robot responds to me based on how I'm interacting giving it some sort of character for the better for for the lack of a better term. I think like human warmth and having having like that feeling of like touching something that's close to like resembling resembling a human skin would definitely be helpful in regards in regards to in regards to other things i think yes i think it would be helpful it would be helpful but i'm afraid that whatever whatever people would be trying to make it make it resemble more of a human would actually not be enough and for me for me personally in general with with any with any robot that I had been interacting like I'm working I'm working in IT so I had like interaction with like other with, like other robots and point is like from my point of view technology nowadays is not high enough to ha- actually have something be convincing convincingly enough to be a human. So there is that there's that that weird thing, the weird situation at the moment for me, the more people are trying to make something something look human, the more distinctive the more distinctive it's notable that it's not human. I think it would definitely give give people the opportunities to experiment, experiment with things that they would not necessarily feel comfortable either with their partner or that they would not necessarily feel comfortable to even be like talking about about with some with with their partner. So I I, I think yeah, yes, it's gonna be it's gonna be helpful for certain people. It's gonna be helpful in exploring and exploring different things. That was Georg Fischer with his take on sex with people versus sex with robots. Shifting from the aromantic to the asexual, I spoke with Kaz Schmacker about her relationship with sex and her thoughts on sex robots. My sexual slash romantic identity is I'm sort of grey, ace grey romantic or an asexual WTF romantic or WTF sexual, something along those lines. There's confusion, but I'm ace. It's being kind of on the arrow spectrum, it's difficult for me to quite differentiate platonic and romantic relationships and differentiate like how much I can enjoy a fictional story as opposed to what I actually want in real life. You know, you can have a dream about a grand romance and then just totally not be into it. So I've I've stumbled into relationships or I've had friendships that in retrospect, I realized I probably kind of wanted a more committed sort of relationship. Yeah, so I have currently a romantic relationship as much as I'm capable of that, but through the power of communication and just enjoying each other's company a lot, it works out well. So I feel that, okay, so for a sex robot, I want to clarify that I'm assuming a sex robot is a human-like robot for having sex with. It's got like, it at least has an arm or maybe a sort of seat. It's a robot. It moves by itself. That's the situation I'm imagining where you call it a sex robot instead of like a vibrator. I'm imagining maybe has a face or at least has some sort of routine. <laughs> that's that's kind of, yeah, that's the situation that to me sex robot is bringing to mind. And me personally, if my partner wanted something like that, I'd be kind of like, why you sure you just don't want a vibrator i've got one here borrow mine just go for it i'm sorry just not tonight but it's (laughs) um i don't if someone wanted a sex robot i'd be like wow you want a whole fake person 
that feels like a different sort of, I feel like our relationship's got some issues there, maybe. I feel like in a year from now, you'll say, actually, I want to be poly. And I'll be like, ooh, I wish we had this conversation a year ago when I told you, yeah, get that sex robot. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like I'm being cheated on for a robot. I just feel like it describes someone who's wanting something very different out of a relationship. Like, maybe if it was a really stunning relationship and we absolutely adored each other, but they were just really into this robot, that it'd still be a little weird, honestly. Um, <laughs> again, I just, it's more the thing of I can't picture myself being with someone who wants a sex robot. It's not that I feel like it's cheating. It's just that I feel like it describes a different kind of person than would necessarily be suited to a relationship with me. <laughs> I I can't terribly picture it taking off. It's already a bit, like, at the very least talked about for, again, like, people satisfying their own libidos is totes legit thing, get a masturbatory aid. That's one thing. But it doesn't imply quite the same layer of fantasy and kind of, um, I don't know, it feels like it's it's really would to me, it does feel like your partner just saying, no, you're not enough. I need a fake person. And in that case, like there are ace people in polyamorous relationships where someone can have another person, but also it's just a real person that, you know, you go to different people for different things. That feels kind of less creepy. I posed this question to some local aces, and I also posed it to some aces on AVEN, which is Asexual Disability and Education Network. The, the major thing was, I would say, confusion about robots, whether it was confusion about why someone wants a robot instead of a masturbatory aid, what the robot looks like. Is it just a robot or is it an android? Is it sentient? Can I be friends with it? That one came up a fair bit. I have at least like five people separately that I did not mention that maybe it would be sentient and you could be friends with it. But I have at least five people saying that they would like, can it be sentient, not for sex and be my friend or can I date this robot? So I thought that was pretty great. <laughs> There were some people that were into it. Like I did a poll, about half of the people were just flat out, no, do not want a sex robot for myself. And about a third of the people were just flat out, no, for a partner. And then the similar thing, it went, get a masturbatory aid. And then like, let's have an open relationship before people were like, yeah, let's do it. Sex robot. This one person said like, uh, this question seems to imply asexual people are people that want partnered sex, but find real people too difficult. Just kind of just the idea that, that what aces really one is just a robot because we hate people, <laughs> which is honestly the opposite to most aces I know who are going, oh, I just want all these people around me without all this damn complication and assumptions of what I want in a relationship. Someone said, I'm fine with sex toys, but I would never use something meant to so closely emulate partnered sex. Someone said, it sounds like an utter waste of money that could be spent on better things. Um, another person said, I'm fine with masturbation. I don't have a fantasy or visualization when I do it anyway. There's just no way to insert myself into the scene. I suppose that a robot partner is interesting, though. It depends if they are interesting outside of sex. I can't imagine a pure sex bot that is just so uninteresting. So it was, again, those sorts of things where it's just a lot of people being like, if I have the technology to get a sex robot, why would it just be a sex robot? <laughs> or a general, no, this isn't what I want. I don't want something to help me visualize sex with another person. I just kind of want to get it done. I got someone who said yes, I think seriously, with the specification that 
they have to be like a perfect copy of the Blue Power Ranger. I really don't know. I don't want to ask if that was serious or not. Considering another person said that they just want Knight Rider, and another person said they want like the anime girl, like Chobits, there's an anime where there's like robot girls, and they wanted one of those, but also not for sex. Just a lot of aces just want a robot friend. I was just like talking to my girlfriend about this question and about the responses. And I liked her description of how they seem to there seemed to be a scale of understanding from vibrator to data from Star Trek, but not much of the in between. <laughs> I feel like the more and more it becomes like a person who doesn't have free will, it becomes more about the power dynamic and less the fantasy involved in that more than it does about just getting off. If they start giving them sentience, I will campaign for their rights to choose their partners. And then I feel like we're back to polyamory. <laughs> Yeah, one, one more quote. This is the last quote I have, which is someone who said, if my partner wanted one, I mean, whatever floats his boat, I guess. I don't get why he'd choose one over an open relationship, though, and I feel that would be less weird, so I'd choose that. I personally imagine the idea of the sex robot is to, like, aid in fantasizing, which, like, again, that's not a thing for me. It's like libido's like more like you, you get a back scratch and then you have a back scratch and then it's done. Like, I don't need to know who's giving me a back scratch and what they're wearing and the way they're acting because that's like about the person I just want a good physical sensation (laughs) sometimes and yeah that's I think what libido without sexual desire looks like and I feel maybe that's a miscommunication or a misunderstanding about asexuality that was Kaz Schmacker talking about asexuality sex and robots I'm Emily Johnson for The Informer on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Welcome back. And because this is Friday, we've got Nicholas Kamenyar-Sandry here with a book review. So I want to talk about a book that's very close to my heart. Um... This is uh, Dragon Charm by Graham Edwards. I found this book in high school. Basically, my high school was clearing out a bunch of books that nobody was checking out. And so they had a big table in the middle of the uh, the library that people could just go in, you know, in, at recess and lunchtime and just find books. And each book would cost uh, like a dollar. Like, you know, you just collect three, pay three dollars and you get those books to keep. And I spent quite a few lunches just searching through the books on that table because I was a book nerd in high school as well and just trying to find, like, the most obscure, interesting stuff. And a lot of it was absolute trash. Like, there's a reason why it ended up on, like, a bargain table at my high school library. Um, There weren't very many gems in there at all, but one that is absolute camp and just remains in a special place in my heart regardless, was Dragon Charm by Graham Edwards. Now, this is the first book in a trilogy, although you don't really need to read the later two because what happened is Graham Edwards um, wrote Dragon Charm as a standalone, but when he signed a contract for a publisher, the part of the contract was that he wrote two additional books for them. This is quite common in the publishing world where, you know, publishers don't just want authors who one time publish something. They want to retain authors um, just in case, you know, they become famous or just so that they have future publication material. So he had 
the last two books were written as like follow-ups that you can read if you enjoy the first book. Uh, but the first book is good enough as a standalone, and it was originally written to be a standalone story, so... I didn't particularly like the two follow-ups to this book, but the first one will always have a place in my heart. Dragon Charm. It is a generic fantasy story, except one, it is absolutely just totally shameless and passionate, and I love it. And it's also unique in terms of where the story ends up going. But the second twist, the one that you're probably going to uh, notice right off the bat, is every single character in this story is a dragon. So, no humans whatsoever. Um, you've got, you know, the wide-eyed young, you know, protagonist who goes on a journey that, you know, functionally acts as a rite of passage into adulthood. You've got the anti-hero rival who used to be friends and betrays the protagonist. You've got the generic love interest. You've got the mentor. You've got the bad guy. And they all just fall into every trope you've ever heard of. Um, but they're dragons instead of humans. And so it's kind of cute, you know. Like, if I was reading this book and the characters were humans, I think I'd, I think I'd probably expect, uh, you know, more depth. I'd be like, I can't relate to these characters, you know, because, uh, you know, humans just don't behave like this. Humans aren't archetypes. But if you swap the, out the human characters for, you know, these non-human characters, it's kind of like, you know, watching cute animal videos or something. It's like, you know, you it's it, it kind of falls into that trap of, like, projecting very simple... Uh, personalities onto animals and 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 it kind of works in that way where it some suddenly what would become you know frustrating and cliche is now just kind of cute and it's you know it's just fun to watch these you know one and two dimensional characters just be on this you know generic fantasy adventure that hits all the same tropes but they hit them hard and it's very emotional and um, it's very dramatic too. Like characters will have these big declarative lines where you know, like the the protagonist might be like, "I used to be your friend. I can't believe you went down this dark path to the rival antihero." And you know, it's it's just great. But what kind of puts it over the top for me is that, like, you know, it it is generic fantasy at first, but in the later half of the book, it becomes very evident that like this is going in a direction that you don't usually see and, and um, without spoiling too much of the plot the general theme is that the world is turning and what that means in this context is that dragons are the dominant species on earth in the novel much like humans are now but the time of the dragons is coming to an end and it's heavily implied that the species that comes after the dragons is humans uh, and so the the bad guy and the protagonist their squabble kind of feels a little bit small in the grand scheme of things like regardless of what the outcome is the age of the dragons is eventually going to end and it's going to end soon because the turning has begun and you know dragons are going to slowly disappear from the world and then you know this other new species is slowly going to emerge to take their place and that kind of feels a little bit relevant to today like the reason why this book resonated with me so much as a teenager as I was born in 
a world where global warming and climate change were already well in the range of it being, you know, a within our lifetime sort of question, you know, where, and if not within our lifetimes, then, you know, what about our children? Like, like whether or not I have children is now an ethical question for my generation. We're thinking like, are we willing to bring someone into a world that we know is ending, you know? And, you know, if we bring them into this world, they're just going to face the same dilemmas that we are, but even more extreme because they're going to be facing possibly a world of scarcity, of disaster, of, you know, we we don't we really don't know how bad things are going to be in the future. And it, you know, this book kind of resonated with me even at that age where I was thinking like this character, this protagonist is kind of wrestling with the question of, you know, is what I'm doing worth it considering that you know, this age, my species, dragons, and this age, this is going to come to an end regardless. And, you know, the world is going to turn as the world does. This new species is going to emerge. And that's, you know, that's just nature. And, you know, it's not exactly a one-to-one parallel with real life in, in humans. Like, I wouldn't say that it's a nature that's causing humans to, you know, do, to go down the path that we are going down. But the point is, is that it sort of evoked that kind of weird apocalyptic feeling where it's kind of like, it's very strange to be born into a world that seems like the apocalypse started before you were born and you're just witnessing a transitory moment in an inevitable downward spiral into extinction. And that really is why the book stuck with me. Like, a few wires crossed between me and this book. Like, I liked how cute the dragons were and how they acted like complete cliches. I enjoyed the drama of this story. I enjoyed, you know, the adventure uh, but really the thing that made it stuck was that it managed to capture that feeling of being born into a dying world. Like, that was that that was resonant for me at that age, especially. Um, but yeah, so that's why I recommend Dragon Charm. I, I promise it's not as depressing as the latter half of my review may have made it sound. Like, most of it is still, like, you know, cute, fun fantasy tropes with dragons. Uh, but yeah, if you want to read it, Dragon Charm by Graham Edwards. The easiest way to acquire this is probably in ebook form because the author, the book's been out of print for, you know, well over two decades. But the author bent over backwards to get this book published in ebook form recently. So get it as an ebook. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much, Nick. That's it for us today. I'd like to thank Emily Johnson, Nicholas Kamenyu Sandry, Dee Mason, Dina Curie, Jordan Johnstone, Rachel Tyler Jones, Ange Berry, Frock Hudson, and everyone at the Community Radio Network for their kind assistance. I'm your host and executive producer, Arian Potts, and we will be back on Monday. Have a good weekend. Be nice to yourselves. Mahalo.
Summer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.